I'm Dr. Jamie Grant. I'm a bossy femme bottom, and this is Just Sex, Mapping Your Desire. It's hard to believe, but season one of Just Sex is coming to a close today. What a year this has been for desire mapping. I've taken the workshop to New Zealand, Kenya, South Africa, South Korea, and Cyprus, meeting up with thousands of LGBTQ and feminist activists, working to end violence, create safety, and blaze a trail to gender and sexual self-determination and freedom for all of us. In the U.S., I've crisscrossed the country with the workshop, from Detroit to Minneapolis to Seattle to D.C. I've had so many moments this year that have changed the way I think about myself. And along the way, I've grown more joy and appreciation for my own checkered sex story. And for me, that's really the power of community. And I think that's our superpower as we move out into the world and try to shape it to our needs and the needs of everyone we love. When I was a young person in recovery from drug addiction, they told me that I had to get a quote unquote higher power if I wanted to stay sober. And by that they meant I needed to have faith in some power other than my own willpower to carry me through this really tough process of not using drugs anymore and committing to my own daily clarity and long-term health. So some people in the program picked major religious traditions and went to church or synagogue or mosques, and that's what really helped them stay sober. But I realized that my church was that room I was sitting in, a dusty linoleum-floored basement with a typically random group of addicts from all over my wonderful city. I didn't know many of them. Very few grew up in any way that resembled my upbringing, and we had many very strongly held differing beliefs. But always for that hour that we met, we just believed in each other. We honored each other's stories. We cherished each other's path. And especially given all of the people we'd already lost to drugs, we cherished each other's lives. And I think this is why my belief in telling our sex stories is so profound. Over the past 30 years of not using drugs, I've watched people move from being barely alive to growing incredibly vibrant lives and families and communities. And I've watched myself alongside them. 11 years ago, when I mounted the first Desire Mapping Institute, I didn't know if it would work. I had faith that I could create a respectful gathering that would give everyone the space to share. I had faith that my amazing five collaborators would dig deeply into their stories and share something meaningful to start the workshop. But after that, it was just a leap into the unknown. So this year, the podcast was another leap. And like that first workshop, creating these episodes has felt surprisingly easy. Our just sex conversations have flowed. I've had astonishing moments of learning that have buoyed me through some really tough times. I found myself in the supermarket picking through the apples, giggling over a snippet of conversation, or momentarily stunned all over again by a revelation I did not see coming. We have so much richness to share with each other about our desire, about how we want to connect, 
our peculiar ways of expressing ourselves, our neediness, our greediness, our unfathomable, uncontainable selves. And then figuring out how to take that power, that momentum, into our work for a more just and sustainable world. I'm so grateful to be creating a space to grow that conversation together. I believe in the power of it, to change ourselves and to change a world that so desperately needs changing. It seems fitting then that our final episode of the premiere season would turn back to two contributors who have made Mapping and the Just Sex podcast possible. My long-term collaborator, whom I often refer to as my gay husband, Jack Harrison Quintana, and his key collaborator at Grinder for Equality, Aza Sultan. Jack and Aza have both been guests on earlier pods this season, so if you haven't yet, I encourage you to check out their individual episodes. Grinder for Equality sponsored me this year as part of their holistic security program with LGBTQ activists all over the world. This innovative human rights program uses the location function on the app to point out safe spaces and resources to Grindr users in hostile environments. It also sends public health messages when there are pressing health and safety concerns that need immediate attention. In this episode, Aza talks about how sharing our sex stories in the workshop came to be a crucial part of their larger holistic security work. I'm glad to share bits and pieces of my wonderful conversation with Jack and Aza here. I was involved in uh, regional and more local work with uh, LGBT communities in the Middle East and North African countries. And I was more like inspired by uh, my experience uh, uh, being as, a, as an activist and uh, founder of like two organizations in Egypt and Sudan and I was pretty much focusing on that regional work because I just realized um, the area of the Middle East, North Africa, what we call MENA region, uh, was just unlucky, um, closed uh, for, for so many people. People think like this is like a hopeless case, uh, mm-hmm. activism. Uh, thing and uh, a lot of people actually undermine the work that has been done. Uh, the great work actually has been done in those countries. Mm-hmm. So that was like my more my focus there to continue to do this kind of work and to advocate for LGBT rights in these places. Um, and then when I uh, offered the opportunity actually to join Grinder for Equality, I was not really sure about, is this the kind of thing that I really want to do, like just jump from the local and regional level to, to do international work, although I was really fond about doing that. But I was hesitant a little bit about, you know, uh, saying yes to that generous offer. And then I experienced some security situations with my work back in Egypt in 2017. There was a big uh, crack and big mass arrests for the LGBT community back there. I was in the forefront of uh, fighting for the situation on the ground. And then I had to leave the country because it was no longer safe for me. Mm. And um, I just I basically was traveling from a country to another country uh, because I couldn't stay in one place. I couldn't, 
you know, afford to get like a residency in one country. And then the opportunity for Grindr came in and I thought like, maybe this is, you know, the universe trying to tell me like, it's time, it's mm-hmm. time to offer my experience, my passion to a greater and wide range of people all over the world. And I came in. And at the beginning, I was not sure, like, um, okay, what I bring into this amazing team. It seems like people are doing really great. There is so people in Grinder for Equality who who are very experienced in their work, in their area. And I just realized, like, if I could bring some of my experience and some of my uh, background work in the MENA region to this uh, initiative, along with a, my security and safety background, I was being trained as a digital security trainer for so many years. And I was just trying to help the communities back there to continue doing the work that they believe in safely. Uh, and I thought like, if these two things, if these two qualities can be brought to the Grinder for Equality work, I would really contribute to this amazing team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, given that you're someone who has had to deal with really bottom line safety issues, I mean, a lot of times the pushback that I get in this work, people are say, well, you know, this is just superfluous, the work that you're doing, right? That this safety and, you know, that we should be focusing all, you know, it's all here. And, and what would you say to that around, like, you know, um, the value of mapping or how you've seen these things work together or, or what? Well, um, you know, for me, because I was, I mean, I didn't choose to do the work related safety and security. I think I just found myself in a situation where I need actually to learn how to protect myself and other people I work with. Mm -hmm. And I need to learn more ways and uh, strategies on doing that. Otherwise, I'll put everybody in danger, including myself. Mm -hmm. And I started I mean, from my experience, the digital uh, threats were the most, like, you know, uh, like immediate threat that face every um, queer activist in, 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 in that region. And I thought, like, uh, oh, if I go and I gain knowledge in the digital security area, that might be enough for me. And I'll be really helpful to my communities, uh, especially that's a uh, few people who are really trained in that area and most of them they are not either they're not queer or maybe they're not queer friendly and that was an issue mm-hmm. because most people they prefer actually to go do the work they're doing without having any knowledge about their uh, safety and security rather than sit down with a person who's homophobic and transphobic to teach them how to protect themselves right. while doing that work so i felt the responsibility and i took the um, the initiative actually to be trained, to attend a lot of like uh, uh, TOT, training of trainers uh, uh, sessions and so on. And then I start to um, do workshops. And out of these workshops, I just realized like people are, they wanted more. They wanted more than just teach them what is the best tool to use mm. to navigate, you know, or communicate with people online or 
And my mind went to the area of the personal safety. And I thought like, wow, okay, we need to add more uh, to this um, uh, area. And we need to talk about the personal safety because if people are protecting themselves while they are navigating the internet, but they still can be under the danger to be arrested or beaten on the streets because of the, because the people how the people perceive them or how the way that they walk or talk or anything that's look like non-heteronormative uh, for strangers, a lot of people actually face problems. And then I start to add more around the personal safety. And still, I, was, I had the feeling that people need more. more. And I was like, okay, this is all I can actually offer, all I can give you. I mean, what else I can offer? And then I realized that there is a, a very important piece around safety and security that people, most people actually often neglect and they don't consider it even as a security issue. That's uh, the part related to our well-being and the self-care. And at that point, I um, started actually to work with something called holistic security where we actually bring all these three pillars together and uh, try to give them the same uh, way and uh, to navigate actually our uh, safety and security from this uh, approach. And in, in that um, uh, moment, I just realized um, if you fear about talking to other people about your you know, sexual desires, about your fantasies, about the deepest, you know, you know, uh, Truths. yeah, truth that's really come from the bottom of your heart. I mean, what kind of activist would you like to be? What kind of, um, what kind of quality of work you want to deliver to other people? What kind of safety can exactly. you create? Exactly, exactly. And at this point, I just realized, uh, you know, after actually I did my first uh, mapping uh, session, like this is exactly maybe the fourth element that I need to add to my holistic security uh, teachings and practice. Mm, that's amazing. Thank you so much. And now I'd like to turn to one of my favorite segments, definition of the day. Every week we offer a few words that we've come across in the opening exercise at the workshop, the naming exercise, where we consider and write down three words that describe our desire. Hence my moniker, Bossy Femme Bottom. And with me I have Aza, who is a kisser, wild, and a special lover. And Jack, who's a cubby baiter urinal. All right. And today we're going to look at some S words that I really love. So one of them is... Screamer, definition of a screamer. A screamer is a descriptor of a person of any gender or sexual orientation who screams in response to sexual stimulation and or orgasm. Mm. Screamer. Mm -hmm. Next, another favorite, service bottom. I have many lovely service bottoms in my life. Descriptor of a person of any gender or sexual orientation who is sexually gratified or stimulated by enthusiastically providing service to a person whom, to whom they are attracted and or have made a consensual commitment. Such service may be sexual in nature, such as providing cunnilingus, ass licking, or a variety of receptive sexual activities. 
Service bottoms may also engage in many much less discussed non-sexual pathways to pleasure, such as shopping at midnight for one's partner's favorite foods, cleaning out a linen closet, or marrying the tops of the Tupperware with their bottom containers. And then finally, sometimes I pick up terms that I've come across hearing people describe their relationships, and here's one. Sex jail. Sex jail is a stifling enclosure that is constructed when one partner of any gender or sexuality non-consensually imposes the terms of appropriate and acceptable desires or sexual activities on a partner. In this case, one person's desire rules, aka acts as the jailer, and the other is jailed. Sex jail. Very interesting. Do you guys have anything you want to say about screamers, service bottoms, or sex jail, and how you've observed these things in your life? I mean, I have so many things to say. <laughs> okay. you. No, you go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm always interested that, like, in the communities that I'm in, some of them are so clear about service bottoms, and some of them it's like an unknown. And I, I have, I'm thinking of one particular person, and I've said this to him, you know, it's not a, I'm not talking behind his back, but I'm always like, you, he designs these unbelievable vacations for him and his partner. And if you go on them, you know, it's like you get the spreadsheet. Right. It's like every the meal. Itinerary. It's every, you know. And I don't know that they are, I think you can probably veer from the plan, but that the plan is beautiful to me. Right. And I, I, so when I first saw one, I was like, oh, do you do this as a form of submission, you know, for your doms? Because he is someone who has this. Right. And he was like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> right. I was like, but you are a service bot. I'm like, you could be totally living into that. And I think the same thing about dates, right? Like designing dates um, mm-hmm. for you and your person. It's mm-hmm. like, that's a part of your sexual service is to design S- the, the dates. Date. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. How about you, Aza? Screamer, service bottom, or sex jail? Does any of that resonate? Well, I find them, you know, very sexy, you know, <laughs> first of all. <laughs> and to be honest with you, uh, where I come from, uh, sadly, people don't have a lot of words to describe their desires or how they want to act or be part of sexual activities Mm -hmm. and I find that's I mean I mean I mean as sad as it is I just feel I'm very lucky to be able to just engage and be exposed to other people who are coming from different backgrounds and different contexts where actually I had just the chance actually to learn all these sexy words and Mm -hmm. hear about them but the thing I just wanted to say regardless if you are being brought up in a very open context or very close and conservative co- context, you just need to know that there is no shame whatsoever about your sexual desires. Mm-hmm. They are part of us. They're very essential, actually, part of us. We And we need to celebrate them and just impress them as anything else, mm-hmm. as any other good qualities in our life. Lovely. I have a question for you about sex jail. Yeah. So you don't frame it as punishment. I feel like I think of sex jail as being like, you fucked something up in our relationship and now you're in sex now you're jail. In sex jail. Oh, well, that's but another you're doing way a broader like... Yeah, I'm saying more like, you know, some people 
fall in love with the person that mm. they fall in love with and then do all the we are blah blah commitments and then they find themselves in sex, sex jail. jail or sex prison mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that they basically are behold that you know that the way the relationships defined and the way sexuality is defined is that one person's sexuality is actually running the show mm-hmm. and a lot of people are in sex jail and they don't know it mm. until they've heard the term mm-hmm. one of the reasons I'm doing the definitions as you're saying is that when I went to create the glossary for my first book, I, I started looking up. I thought, oh, I'll put, I'll put a glossary just so people can, these handy terms that I know. I'll just use Webster, whatever, the OED, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I go and I look up all these definitions, and they're terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're patriarchal, you know, racist, <laughs> you know, colonial, the language, the way they're heteronormative. It was like, oh, right, I so can't use any of these, right? And then I also realized, like sex jail, there are many sort of things that happen in our communities that are invisible. Mm -hmm. And nobody's talking about them. Nobody's naming them. Nobody's saying, oh, yeah, that's a sex jailer over there. That person jails everybody, right? Mm -hmm. Like once you start to have a language, Mm -hmm. you can have a conversation. Mm -hmm. So that's why I love the segment. And then the other thing we do to wrap up every episode is question of the day and question of the day features one of the core questions in the workshop and invites our listeners at home to perhaps write it down and start to work on their own map and relate to us right back to us so today's question is one of the most important and central questions in the workshop and it is what sexual encounters or experiences of my desire stand out as the most important or most memorable over the course of my sexual life. Mm. And I'm going to say that again so people have time to write and time to absorb. And it's important, we always say experiences of our desire in the workshop because lots of people who've taken the workshop have never had sex. Some of them don't ever want to have sex, but they have all kinds of experiences of desire and have yearnings to connect with other human beings. And that's really what we do in Desire Map, is look at our yearnings to connect. So we're talking about sometimes spiritual, sometimes sexual, sometimes uh, Mm -hmm. intellectual. So, what sexual encounters or experiences of my desire stand out as the most important or most memorable over the course of my sexual life? Did anything just pop into mind? Well, when you were explaining, I mean, there's so many moments that I could talk about that have really stuck with me. But when you were talking about experiences of desire not having to be limited to sexual experiences Mm -hmm. that you might sort of encounter your desire in a different way. What really came up for me, which I've been thinking about a lot lately, was a period in my life when I was, you know, young and didn't have access to a lot of people to play with. But I was writing a lot of erotic fan fiction. Mm. And I feel (laughs) like, yeah, which, you know, like... uh, Is a thing. Totally. And I think that that is one of the ways that I sort of encountered my desire and worked out some of the things that were in my fantasy life way before I was having a lot of sex. Mm. That's so great. Mm. It's a great example. I think that... And I think that if I was going to give like a concrete example... Like when I was really into Harry Potter fan fiction, yes. which so funny, I, these are not even characters that I'm that interested in now, right. but I really always wanted Harry and Ron to be together and that I liked that it was like the friend, best friendship becomes 
lovers. Lovers. And there are so many other kind of shows or comic books or different things where I would write. And like, for me, the repeating thing was like, best friends become lovers. Um, and for a lot of the mostly women who I was kind of in community with who were writing, they were not necessarily interested in the best friends become lovers. They were uh, often wanting like rivals, mm-hmm. like Harry and uh, who's the blonde boy? Malfoy. Malfoy. Yeah, like Harry and Malfoy. They were more interested in that. I was always like, for me, it's best friends. And I do think you can see that now in my life with my kind of primary partners. Oh, that's That so it's very like best friends, buddies. Right. Something. And I just do want to note that, as you said, these characters were not that interesting to me. Jack is wearing a Hogwarts t-shirt. Oh, oh, oh. No, I just mean I'm interested in other Harry Potter characters. Oh, uh, not Harry. Not the, yeah, not Harry or Ron. Like, I'm so much more interested in Hermione, you know, or whatever, but... Yes, but... Or Luna. But the universe, very important. Oh, the universe is here to stay how about you, Aza? I think for me, the most uh, desired experience that was hanging in my mind for a long time. And uh, the reason that it was there, because I had a lot of uh, shame and guilt uh, feelings around it. And I, I really struggled through my uh, lifetime, actually, to try to understand why I have this kind of desire in my mind. And I would say I was, I mean, since I was a teenage, I was um, watching a lot of porn. And I think the only thing that, I mean, there was like different kind of porn I could watch. But the thing that, that I preferred mostly was seeing uh, scenes of heteronormative, if I can you know, call mm-hmm. it that, heteronormative sex scenes between men and women. And I was very angry with myself to actually enjoy that kind of born. And I was telling myself, like, you are in a, in a situation where you are betraying mm. every value in your life. You're mm-hmm. betraying your value as a lesbian woman, as a feminist, mm-hmm. as a someone who is, you know, advocating for LGBT rights. And... I couldn't share that with lots of people and I was trying actually to give myself justifications like, oh, when I see this kind of scenes, I am not, I'm not seeing the man in the scene, you know, I just, I'm taking that out of the picture. And I was trying to come up with different justifications for this and at some point I just realized like, why do I need to do this? It's just who I like and what I like and it's like helped me to grow up with my sexual desires and fantasies and even improve my sex life. Why not? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, I think it's such a great thing to bring up because I think people expect our fantasies lives to have such a literal line from us to them and I think... A reflection of our values. Yes, yeah. yes. And it's just like, no, you know, our fantasy lives... Fantasy should be rich and come out of our unconscious and travel all over the universe and travel all over the genders and 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 do what it needs to do for us, right? But I do think, I mean, I, I talk about this all the time, of having been a lesbian coming out in the 70s and just really liked gay male porn, I liked straight porn, I, I loved military porn. I was like, oh my God, I'm a, I'm a pacifist and I love, you know, I love these military gangbang scenes. What's wrong with me? And there's nothing wrong with us. You know, we are, we are growing in a world where power is playing out on our bodies, our lives, our cultures, our countries all over the place, right? And we're, 
we're making lemonade. Uh, <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> and, uh, and I think, yeah, let's claim our fantasies. Mm-hmm. I think. Thank you so much for, for sharing that one. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. So I hope you enjoy that question. And I'd love to hear from you. So please feel free to write to us at justsexpod at gmail.com. And I want to thank Aza and Jack for being here with me today. Thank you all. Thank, thank you very, very much. Yeah. Thank you. you. It's a pleasure. Mm. <laughs> Bye. Well, that's a wrap. We are nearing a thousand listeners a week as season one comes to a close. So please tell your friends about us. Go over to iTunes and give us five stars. If you would like to give me feedback about the pod, you can get me at justsexpod at gmail.com. I'd like to thank my fantastic contributors for my season. Shannon Perez-Darby, Emmett Patterson, Zan Chiam, Romeo Jackson, Aza Sultan, Jack Harrison Quintana, Emily Zern, and Ting Ting Wei. I'd also like to thank my incredible producer, E.T. Townsend, and finally, my wonderful sponsors, Grinder for Equality, Elizabeth Scott, and the Freeman Foundation. Season two is going to be incredible, I promise. See us back here January 15th, the opening day of the Creating Change Conference, where it all began in 2008. We have some very special guests coming in season two, and I can't wait to share their stories with you. New York in June How about you? I like a Gershwin tune How about you? I love a fireside When a storm is due I like potato chips Moonlight motor trips How about you? I'm mad about good books, can't get my fill.